1: Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi-finals. all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply.
2: From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
3: Morena New Zealand, good morning to you, Uh, heading into a really busy weekend of sports, so uh, we're going to preview that uh, today uh, by talking to Gary Doyle first up, Uh, he was on the show a couple of weeks ago, Uh, he's back of course, uh, the sports reporter for the 42 uh, a look at the Irish side as well as what he's made of the All Blacks uh, with uh, a considered opinion. Colin Mainsbridge, uh, of course, the CEO of the Crusaders. He was on with uh, Kirsten Beeb yesterday, but uh, Colin uh, has uh, agreed to come on with us again this morning, just uh, the day after the vote, just to take a, a considered look at uh, what now, how quick, all those sorts of questions, uh, and what will it mean to the Crusaders as a franchise overall. Uh, we will have uh, a panel this morning consisting of James Regan and Sam Ackerman. Busy weekend of uh, NRL, a full round, uh, which incorporates uh, the Eels against the Warriors tonight. So we'll, we'll touch on that, as, as well as the All Blacks, of course. Uh, we'll also talk to Louis Herman Watt and uh, Pip Morris just before 11 o'clock. Maybe they can give us a little bit of information uh, to make some money. Uh, interesting, just after 11 o'clock... We'll talk to Wayne McLaughlin, at Scott McLaughlin's father. Wayne is in Toronto at the moment to uh, oversee uh, Scott's effort in his next IndyCar race. And uh, that's fresh off watching him win the mid-Ohio race uh, just recently. So they've been, I think, on holiday together in the interim. Um, So we'll catch up with Wayne, proud father, I am sure. Uh, 11.23, we'll have a really quick interview with Trevor Wilkes, who retired last night after uh, 43 years commentating the Greyhounds. Absolutely outstanding. And then, of course, uh, we'll have a stump smithy. He's 100 bucks up for grabs today. And Mick Guerin comes back to us at 11.45 with his thoughts on harness racing going forward over the weekend. Busy indeed. Sorting the All Blacks display at Eden Park, job done efficiently, room for improvement but tougher where they had to be. Overall a pretty good step along the way. In a short space of time, tomorrow night has become the most important test for many a year it seems for certain individuals in and around the group. Well that's how it appears from the outside looking in. Ian Foster has thrown his cards on the table and gone all in but he's staring into the eyes of an opponent who doesn't flinch, won't buy a bluff and is raking in the chips more often than not lately. It's on the All Blacks to make the play here to hit the ground running and very fast. Playing catch up for the third week in a row just won't do. Win, lose or draw, heads won't roll after this one. New Zealand rugby don't uh, take those kind of steps unless there's social or behavioural issues in the background it seems, as Glenn Moore found out to his detriment. I reckon though the All Blacks will have to win two of the next three to save some bacon and claiming both in South Africa is tough at any time. Wouldn't want to have it any other way, would you? Uh, that that is so important. With the with the neck on the line, really tough indeed. Uh, so that's uh, the significance of tomorrow is absolutely massive. And for Ian Foster, and his deputies, and for Sam Kane, it's D night, and D is where it begins. Repelling the Irish at the gain line, you shall not cross. You can never accuse the coach of not showing the faith, but from Kane, Smith, and Barrett of the Bowden variety, in particular, there has to be some very good decision making to repay that faith. That Wayne Barnes is in control is important. That Roger Tuovasa Shek is debuting is exciting. But without the W in the column, his first, may well be hit other people's last. It's intriguing, it's exciting, it's crucial. Wouldn't want it any other way. OK, it's uh, 9.07 here on SENZ. We're having uh, a few technical issues on the desk there, so we're not having any jingles, etc. And we're still trying to get up uh, Gary Doyle, who is, uh, of course, uh, with 42. Uh, they've had a hell of a time, haven't they? The Irish media, they came here in, uh, in their numbers because they kind of figured this might be sort of a history-making to us. So they had some great stuff to report on. And it's heading in that direction, Um, unless things change from the All Blacks' point of view tomorrow night. So uh, we'll try uh, and and still get uh, Gary up if we possibly can. The boys, uh, I understand, are working behind the scenes. Uh, Big news, of course, coming out of the West Tigers. have appointed Tim Sheens as coach for the next two seasons, uh, with former club legend Kiwi Benji Marshall to take over in the 2025 season. And a revolutionary coaching appointment Sheens will return to the club next season A decade after he was shown the door With Marshall and fellow 2005 Premiership winner Robbie Farah to act as his uh, deputies What a great way for Benji Marshall To learn the art of coaching at NRL level Okay, I'll lead to believe that uh, Gary Doyle is with us now Gary, good morning to you Thanks very much uh, for for joining us Um, on the eve of a Test match which is really significant uh, for New Zealand uh, and its uh, rugby fans, but equally so for Ireland, I would imagine.
4: Even more so for for Irish fans, Ian. I think the best way to sort of put this in context for New Zealand rugby fans is to bring you back pretty, pretty quickly uh, with a quick run through how poor a team Ireland were in the 1990s. You've got to remember... Um, they played maybe twice in the 90s, they lost twice. They played Scotland 11 times, they lost 10, drew one. They played France 11 times, lost all 11. Played Samoa, lost to Samoa, lost three in a row to Italy, lost every game against Australia, South Africa and New Zealand. Played England 10 times, won two, lost eight. So that's the context that we're coming through. There's only been five... Turin teams, to the best of my knowledge, that have won series, touring series down here. So for Ireland to join that list uh, with the Australians who won twice, the Springboks who won once, British and Irish Lions that won once, and the French that won once, would be a massive, massive thing for a rugby country Mm -hmm. that has never even had a team that's made it to a World Cup semi-final. So this is bigger in many people's views, including Brian O'Driscoll's, than a Grand Slam.
3: Wow, that is staggering to, to hear that importance. Those statistics rolled off uh, before us. You know, uh, Gary, three weeks ago I was talking with a couple of uh, journalists uh, prior to the first test at Eden Park, and uh, a little bit worried that um, Andy Farrell had a, un- might have under budgeted in terms of uh, the number of players he had on tour. Three weeks ago, uh, that was, and now uh, we find he's basically been able to name un- an unchanged Test team, like almost three weeks in a row, apart from the odd niggle. Uh, So he's pretty well got it right and achieved uh, pretty much what he wanted to in that regard.
4: Yes, Ian, that's a really interesting point because Farrell deliberately went with a small squad, a smallish squad of 40 players, because he wanted to mimic uh, what was coming down the tracks in next year's World Cup in terms of being able to be adaptable, uh, being able to, to cope with whatever sort of mini crisis you would get in terms of injuries, suspensions or COVID cases, and that has proven to be the case now there. Before the first test, there was a, a bit of a problem in terms of the prop replacements, and they were running pretty pretty low. Um, like there was a player, Ed Byrne, was coming in as cover, and he got stuck in. Uh, I think it was Qatar on his way out here. But that's mm. that they have adapted. They have uh, reacted to every situation, and the problems have been really with the the B team or the Tuesday team, as opposed to. With the test team. They've only had to make one change from the first test to the second, and another one change from the second test to the third. So they've had a settled side and they've had a settled side pretty much in throughout this season. And like eleven of the players that start tomorrow from Leinster. So because they have that familiarity and because they have uh, that understanding of each other's roles, they've been able to hit the ground running here.
3: Having said that, too, Gary, um, that result uh, on Tuesday night in Wellington against uh, the Maori All Blacks, I think was one of the highlights for me as well. Because what you what you want to do when when you have a midweek team is try and build depth. I I think in some areas that has been. uh, I I think that's been very obvious that that's happened.
4: It was a huge win. Like it was the first win in four attempts for Ireland against the Maoris. Again, to the best of my knowledge. I'm open to be corrected, I think it was only the third defeat in 19 years for the Maris. so again, this, mm. these are big moments for Irish rugby not just because we had a fairly average history up until the start of this century, but also because this was a pretty young team, there were five on cap players in the team uh, seven, of the starting 15 12 of them had 7 caps or fewer, so it wasn't as if they were loaded with uh, with top class experience, and we saw some players come of age. Like one of the players that really stood out was little scrum half Craig Casey, and he he's a real he he offers a different option to what Gibson Park mm. and Connor Murray bring the the out half. Kieran Frawley had a super game, and again, like that was only his third start at ten this year because Leinster he's the fourth choice out half at Leinster <laughs> game. That's one of the things that Farrell has really done impressively. He has identified players that aren't necessarily first choice at their clubs. And there's there are as many as 11 of those guys on this 40-man squad. And those players have been able to, to profit from being training at a higher level and from being given the confidence of a national coach, believing in them. And he's able to see which players he's got a vision of which players suit international rugby and which players are likely to peak in 2023. Because a big problem for Ireland at the last World Cup was that two or three other players peaked in 2018 and by 2019 they were, they were past their best.
3: Well, one of those players you're talking about clearly is uh, Johnny Sexton. Uh, when he runs out tomorrow, will be his 108th cap, equalling uh, former captain Paul O'Connell. Now, if Ireland pull us off, does, uh, does Johnny Sexton, in your eyes, go down as uh, their greatest captain or one-off?
4: Never mind their greatest captain. Ian. I think Sexton goes down as Ireland's greatest player at this stage. And I know I, I know that's going to cause a great deal of fence to Brandon Driscoll fans or even further back to guys that remember Mike Gibson. But when you look at Sexton's CD, and he's won the Huntington Cup four times, so Driscoll won of three. He's won the Grand Slam and two other Six Nations championships. That's again, that's one more than O'Driscoll. He, he has beaten the All Blacks on four occasions, and each each time Ireland would never have won any of those matches without him steering the ship home. O'Driscoll was a superb player, really gifted. His highlights reel is is long and extended, and we're not saying he's not a superstar. We're just saying that Sexton's achievements are even are even greater than that because for for. People of my generation, Ian, when we were growing up, we never got close to New Zealand. We never got close to Australia. Mm-hmm. We never got close to South Africa. So we're living through a time now where Ireland are defeating the Springboks away from home for the first time in 2016, defeating the the Wallabies away from home in a series for the first time since 1979, and defeating the All Blacks for the first time in 111 years anywhere in Chicago in 2016, following it up with victories in 2018 eighteen and twenty twenty one over the All Blacks and now a first ever away win over the All Blacks here. Sexton is his fingerprints are all over those victories. So he is the guy that has brought Irish rugby onto an even higher level. There's two boxes left to tick in terms of Irish rugby's achievements. One is to get a series win here and the second one is to get to World Cup semi-final. And I don't think they will get the second unless they get the first here.
3: Okay, Bundy Aki comes in at 12 uh, tomorrow. That's for Gary Ringrose, of course, ruled out. Um, I, 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 there's been all sorts of furor about uh, what should and shouldn't have happened around that, that card, that collision, those card systems, etc. Uh, w- what was your take on it from uh, from your point of view?
4: I thought he was really unlucky to be sent off, I have to admit. I thought, uh, I, I'm convinced it was a pure accident. So I felt they were unlucky on that score, but then... Just prior to that, Ian Sexton made a lovely break down the left, and the, he made a slip pass through. and And Ringrose was was taken off the ball, um, not not harshly, but uh, it was it was cynical, um, and that probably should have been a penalty try and a red card. And then we saw a very similar incident in the in the match on Tuesday night when uh, hmm. the Marys got a penalty try from a very similar scenario that unfolded in the second half of that game. I think it's a good point you make in because while Ireland were pretty comfortable winners last week, probably the most comfortable they've been in their four victories over the All Blacks in recent years. You also have to take into account that for 57 minutes of the game they had a numerical advantage, and I just don't think we're going to we're going to get that um, edge tomorrow. And what's going to be really interesting is how Wayne Barnes officiates because the All Blacks traditionally come back from a defeat with a lot of aggression and they try and bully their way to victory and it's going to be interesting to see how Barnes stands up to that firstly and secondly how ireland stand up to that
3: Mm, very interesting indeed Uh, what have you made uh, looking in from the outside around the the pressure around the all blacks um, and and the way that they've been playing Has it uh, surprised you to the extent that the 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 pressure uh, they appear to be under
4: Yeah, it's given me a real insight to how dramatic uh, it is to be at a press conference when you see a head coach getting scrutinised the way that, that Foster has. I remember him as an assistant on the 2016 tour to Europe when he came to Ireland and the questions then were preceded with uh, the affectionate nickname Fuzzy and everybody was convivial mm. and, and very, very friendly and he was a really relaxed guy. Here, it's clear that he's under pressure. You speak to people around town and it's clear that the person they want is in charge of Scott Robertson and I find it pretty uncomfortable viewing, Ian, I have to admit, because he seems a decent man, he seems a real rugby man, a guy that served a long apprenticeship, and he's come into the job. And like he's, the All Blacks have lost six games under his uh, stewardship. Andy Farrell's Ireland have lost seven games uh, from from twenty six matches. So it's very very similar stats, and yet Farrell is considered like there was a really glowing. Um, column written by Warren Gatland in the Daily Telegraph in the UK yesterday about Farrell's uh, coach and genius, whereas Foster, with a very similar record, is, is basically getting it in the neck. And it's it's hard to watch, I have to admit. It's hard to watch.
3: Great continuity around uh, your loose forwards, uh, I think it's fair to say, Gary. Funderfully uh, has been outstanding, as is Doris. And Omani, a genuine pack leader, to the point now where he's uh, throwing verbal insults at an all-black captain and the years gone by. That was quite a dangerous thing to do, but I think it's also quite reflective of where where Ireland feel they are at the moment against this all-black pack.
4: Yeah, the three, Doris, van der Fleer and O'Mahony have been outstanding. Doris, not so much in the first test, but certainly in the second test, and he's had a really good season. He looks like the player that could end up as Ireland captain, Ian. He has got an all-court game, and he's a tough boy as well. And he's also got a real uh, of obvious uh, leadership qualities. So I think he could be the guy that you could be talking about for the next 10 years. Uh, Vander Flair is at the peak of his career. He's playing absolutely outstanding rugby and has done for the last 12 months. And the interesting mm. thing, again, it goes back to Farrell's management of people. He had a good long chat with him last year, told him precisely what he had to do to to move his game on to a different level, which was basically improve his ball carrying. And he has done that. He is a much better ball carrier than he was 12 months ago. And in addition to that, his, his energy levels, his ability to hit rocks, to do the basics, to put his tackles in is is pretty impressive. Um, it's, it's a key, key area for Ireland, and has been since Joe Schmidt became head coach in 2013, because they've realised that... You know the number of rooks in a game. I think it was they had 120 rooks in the Eden Park test. If you can control that area, you have a good chance of dictating the terms and conditions of the game, and that was certainly the case for the majority of of, of Schmidt's era in charge. Ian, and let's be frank, it was pretty much the case last Saturday.
3: It certainly was, uh, Gary. What what will be the signs as you look down from um, the press box tomorrow? Uh, what will be the early signs for you about the direction this test is going to take?
4: Uh, first Irish throw, uh, Sam Whitelock. And does he bully the Irish locks the way he did in the first test at Eden Park? Uh, first Irish scrum, uh, Andrew Porter, the loose head, who had a really good game last week, scoring the two tries. He did concede one scrum penalty, but he also won a couple as well. But let's see how he goes on. Uh, against a new tight head this weekend. If Ireland get their set piece right, I'd actually be pretty confident. Um, if they don't, I think the All Blacks will be uh, having their day of redemption.
3: OK, well, Gary Doyle, it's been a pleasure having you in this country. It's uh, been great that you've been able to witness uh, a little bit of history along Ireland's path. And if they win tomorrow night, it will be super, super, as you've outlined. So thanks for your time, uh, this morning, Gary, enjoyed the, the rest of your time in the country. Travel safe. Thank you.
4: Thanks very much, Ian.
3: Yeah, cheers. Gary Doyle there from uh, the 42, uh, chief rider there for them, and uh, just outlining the fact that just what it's meant to Ireland so far and the possibility of uh, what it could mean with uh, yet another bold performance tomorrow night. Simply amazing. And what about the, the, the opinion on Johnny Sexton as well? Greatest of all time ahead of Brian O'Driscoll. Wow, that's special. Well we had to go yesterday, uh, don't uh, forget about that But it was scratched, uh, we were advised just as we are about to go off air That our uh, greyhound was actually scratched out of the race So we're going to have another crack today actually uh, And uh, this of course uh, with uh, any proceeds going towards uh, Women's Refuge Which is our charity of choice So today uh, race 10 um, at Addington It's around about uh, 5 past 3 just after Race 10 number 2 Jocelyn Jocelyn, trained by Janine McCook uh, and also, don't uh, forget that you can tune into SENZ every Sunday from 11 till 12 for Greyhound Racing New Zealand's Dog Speed. It's hosted by two legendary greyhound experts and Mark Rosinowski and of course uh, Andy McCook, husband of Janine. Don't miss uh, a beat with Greyhound Racing New Zealand's Dog Speed. Yes, yeah, so that was uh, interesting that chat uh, to. To uh, Gary Doyle because it just uh, tends to uh, infl- uh, still give an indication of just uh, how important this is uh, for Ireland tomorrow night. You know, you almost kind of sense that when you create history on tour, job done, you've achieved, but job not done for Ireland, uh, not by a long stretch uh, of the imagination. And they can add to a lot of All Black pain uh, with a similar performance that they fronted up with in Dunedin last weekend. Interesting to hear it uh, from Gary too. He believes it's around about the set-piece area, whether Sam Whitelock can disrupt to the extent that he did uh, at Eden Park, uh, and whether they can get that scrum going again. And that, they were the telling factors early on, weren't they, at Eden Park, New Zealand's dominance in those areas, which we weren't quite expecting. And it disappeared. In the space of seven days, it absolutely disappeared. Is it because solely Sam Whitelock's presence was not no longer there? Uh, that, to me, is... Um, one of the, the features, too, that we'll, we'll look at early on in the test match. Uh, and then, of course, uh, around about uh, the 60-minute mark, uh, we'll, all eyes will be on the benches. Uh, we look to see um, whether Roger Tuovasa-Shek is getting ready to uh, come onto the field in earnest. They've got a lot of cover in certain areas. Uh, he's the only, outside Richie Moonga, he's the only back cover, but uh, they have, if they look at the way that side is balanced, they've got uh, Will Jordan who can cover a couple of areas, Geordie Barrett who can cover two or three areas, uh, Rico Iwani who can cover a couple of areas so um, the inside is pretty well covered with Fokotava and of course uh, Richie Mwonga. Uh but then you, you look outside and uh, Roger Torvasashek will be introduced around about that 55 to 60 minute mark uh, if New Zealand are in front it might be an easy introduction if they're not all on eyes will be on him to see if he's got some magic at this level 9.30 here on SENZ uh, it's time for the news with
5: Halaha.
6: This is your chance to leave a legacy for the city Do it once,
7: do it right Vote yes for today
5: Being around when the earthquake first happened I think it'd be great for the the whole city Not just sport, I think everything
0: So I will be
8: supporting these recommendations today
0: Let's not let the stadium divide us But let it unite us 9.33
3: 9.33 here on SENZ and yesterday must have felt like a landmark day for the people of Christchurch after years of waiting campaigning and now budget blowouts we can finally say that there will be a new stadium built in Christchurch with an overwhelming 13-3 vote in favour councillors urged uh, to the 683 million dollar deal for the Takaha Stadium to go ahead. The name means strength, something the people of Christchurch have shown in bucket loads for a lot of years now. And in April 2, 20, 2026, I should say, they'll have something to really be proud of when they open their new stadium. And one man who has been championing the cause for such a great uh, period of time now is Crusaders CEO Colin Mansbridge. Now, Colin, of course, was on, I think, with kirsty and Bev last night. Uh, But we've uh, decided to get him on again this morning because uh, we just have to uh, get, I think, a feel for just how good uh, he must feel and those around him about what's happened. Colin, thank you for your time yet again. Um, How are you feeling the day after?
9: Uh, G'day, Smithy. Uh, Mate, it's fair to say I thought I was going to sleep really well last night. I thought I was going to just go to bed and and just snore my way through the evening, but I, I was on. I couldn't sleep. I was just so excited. <laughs> I spent all night up and um, and and reflecting on sort of some of the visions of what the venue is going to look like when there's games being played there, and um, and and you know what a great opportunity this is to get people to think about uh, being together. Um, it, it has been a somewhat divisive issue um, between you know originally and up to today. Now's a chance, that the decision's made to sort of pull people together around this thing now. So, yeah, really, really excited. That's how i describe it.
3: Colin, 13-3 is pretty decisive. Were you that confident?
9: Um, it's one of those things, you know, Smithy, and you'll know this, before a, a test match when you, you were heading out, you'd have had feelings of, um, those physiological feelings that, which some would describe it as anxiety and you would reframe them as um, as excitement and I, I thought to myself as we were going into yesterday's meeting I, I've got to be excited about what's going to happen here and you know be really confident but actually no matter how much I talk to myself it felt like um, anxiety it, it, it was there was no excitement it was all anxiety so um, I, I was shaking as we got through the day and then when we got to the very end and and the the comments were starting to drop from the councillors uh, it was yeah, quite a euphoric feeling, no doubt about it.
3: Did you have a plan B if uh, it had gone against you? what, what, what and if it, if you did have one, what was it? Just status quo? No,
9: no it wasn't. We we've, we've had a number of people approach us over the last decade uh, and talk to us about potential uh, other solutions, uh, and we've you know we've invested a bit of time in it, but we've always come back because council and central government have always talked to us about a multi-use arena, and that's what City needs. So we've always felt that we've been obliged to be part of that conversation and part of that solution. And so we've, uh, we've managed carefully any relationships for a rugby-only solution um, and, uh, or just a sports stadium solution. So we've, we've sort of managed those, but it, it was fair to say when the blowout first happened, uh, we sat around at the board table and started to say, mm, maybe we need to dust off some of those other relationships that we've built. Um, but uh, Plan B was um, actually fair to say it was in the bottom drawer and we were you know, fairly committed to a multi-use arena. So uh, what's clear is so are 8 out of 10 people in the region. So, um, so yeah, pretty, pretty excited that, that we can leave Plan B and just uh, work really hard on Plan A.
3: Okay, so um, how active have you had to be behind the scenes? I mean, how big a part have you played in submissions uh, looking into that, bearing in mind that rugby is going to be quite a focal point of the use of the stadium?
5: So,
9: um, Rugby's been pretty involved in um, the design element, along with other sports. Uh, We've been involved in the design element. Um, We've also worked really hard to make sure that we've we stick to the vision for this thing. It's a multi-use arena. You know, we'll play seven, um, maybe with playoffs, maybe 10. Uh, and, you know, if we could get a World Club champs uh, played out of the Southern Hemisphere as well, maybe another couple of games on top of that. So, And then you'll have Canterbury with their uh, NPC uh, playing here and, and Matatu, our professional women. You, you know, rugby might comprise, I don't know, 20, 20 matches a season. The challenge with this thing is that um, 200 plus events are going to go through it each year. So we've got to be, we've had the mindset in the last year or two that this can't be done without us, but it's not being done for us. So we've tried to make sure that we've sort of signed up to the vision of a multi-use arena, uh, a facility for everyone, for the whole community. Uh, I know we'll get looked after uh, through the design process by being consultative and supportive. I think uh, council and the uh, developer and others have have reached out to us and made sure that our our views have been heard. Probably the biggest thing is being a little bit more overt about the need to kick on. That's come through a little bit more strongly in the last uh, few months as it looked like we might stumble. Um, So, yeah, then that's taken, you know, there's no apology for motivating the community and and motivating others to, to vote the way they did. Uh, that's democracy at work, I guess.
3: Scott uh, Robertson Razor was uh, a big advocate of uh, this going ahead. Of course, I have got a feeling he might be overseas, but have you been able to touch base with anyone within uh, the Crusaders playing staff or coaching staff about the result?
9: Yeah, there's a few. There are a few people away, but um, there's definitely a few thumbs up coming through on the uh, WhatsApp and the and the text messages. So uh, and uh and i know our board's uh, really stoked i know canterbury rugby's really stoked um you, you know been inundated with messages and so yeah the playing group for some of them you know some of them will have never played in in a, in a proper home venue they'll you know what i describe as our caravan um they've never mm-hmm. played at home and um it sam whitelock i think's the only Person in our current roster who's who played at the old venue, and so he's always played at the temporary stadium. And we're you know we're just hoping that there is no further delays, and we can 2026 there'll be some footy played, and some of the people in this roster, well most of them, we hope will be playing at that, that venue. So they're pretty stoked, um, and uh, yeah, I know Razor Razor came through with a very big smile. That's for sure.
3: Venues uh, Ototahi is forecasting that the stadium will host uh, between one hundred and seventy nine uh, and two hundred and twenty nine events a year. What kind of events are we we looking at there and, and what kind of use would uh, what, what would be the extent of the use of the stadium?
9: so it, there's probably something activated just about every day smithy the, um, the, 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 you, you start off concerts so they've got sort of a, a number of large concerts um sort of uh, three to six concerts a year uh footy about 20 um all up uh and maybe a little bit uh, more than that you've got uh, other rectangular field sports you know you'd probably want to try and get in a phoenix game you would probably want to get in a couple of league matches and maybe some uh, hockey or, or or um uh or, or something else um then you've sort of, um, you know, you could probably do a hockey test there if you if you had the capacity to put some sort of turf over the turf. Um, then mm. you've got they've talked about boxing events, they've talked about uh, the mayor talked about e-sports events, um, and then there's lots of community things. I know in in Wellington they do things like beer Varna and those sorts of things. So uh, you know stuff that's local. Uh, that can bring people to the city. There's, um, you know, there's plenty of those. And then on top of that, there's it complements to Pi the convention centre, uh, and there's opportunity for people to sort of hire out space from a corporate perspective as well. So, so yeah, they've they've got, they've got a list. In the investment case, there there was a sort of a detailed plan of what all those events would be. Um, and you know, the other thing to keep in mind was it's a multi-use arena, which rugby might be fifteen to twenty of of those two hundred odd
3: I would imagine, Colin, um, there'll be some very happy uh, people in the hospitality industry because uh, with the location of this new facility, this uh, wonderful new stadium, uh, that's, as you say, going to attract people to the city, the CBD area, Um, but it's going to mean a a hell of a lot because it's just going to be walking distance from the hub. I mean, uh, that to me is one of the the real pluses of this.
9: It's a great location, Smitty. One of the things... But, you know, when you, um, after the uh, lockdowns and we went back to our first game and I remember walking into Orange Theory Stadium and there were people and staff who hadn't been working for a while and, you know, for some of them, the jobs that they had uh, hosting at the venue were quite meaningful to them in terms, of, um, in terms of income. And so I was having people coming up and, and hugging me because they were so pleased to be back in, a, in the venue and hosting games. Now, I think if you times that by sort of 10, that's the hope that we have for uh, what what the venue will do. It'll be an amazing walk, um, you you know, a couple of hundred metres essentially to get to the centre of town. And already uh, some of the business people in the CBD have talked to us about, you know, what could we do to make even that experience um, more exciting and better? You know, uh, sort of legends walks and all those things. So there's pretty... There's a pretty excited um, central business community, Um, probably as excited as Peter Morrison. I don't know if you saw him singing Imagine during the council meeting yesterday. Um, uh, Very, very excited they were. Uh, And, um, yeah, I I think this is going to be a venue that's going to pull the place together, and and I think people will will want to be part of it. And, and of course, it'll be contagious once you start. Um, It'll be a better type of contagious than COVID, that's for sure.
3: Uh, we now know the cost of uh, building it. Um, what about the, the cost of actually uh, of running it? And uh, have, I guess exercises have been done in that, but uh, that would be the next thing, I suppose, uh, the cost of actually running the, um, this this complex.
9: Yeah, so in the investment case, which is a couple of years out of date now and, um, and will need to be sort of updated all the time, it, it sort of had a similar running cost Council of the uh, Toonanga, the the library here, Central Library. So it it was, uh, and that's without some of the additional work that's going to need to be done, Uh, uh, you know, now the Council's made the decision, can we do this any better from the financial side? So is there a better way to structure it? Um, Can we be more effective? Uh, Have we got the right support from the right people? Is is there more? private uh, investment in it and if so, how does that happen? A lot of that work's still got to be done uh, but there is time for that to happen. The, the government funding comes in first there, $220 million, so there is a couple of years before um, we get to the, the, some of those harder decisions.
3: So when does uh, when does work really begin in earnest and are you confident uh, to, uh, April 2026 will be achieved?
9: They're, they're already in the place now smithy they're already there's a bit of diggers there's a few diggers and uh there's people in there sort of uh doing ground preparation uh there's a little bit more detailed design they've done they've done detailed design to the them to do this costing uh which basics what is really confident of um uh, of uh, of their costing model um but there is that final um you know it's a bit like taking architectural drawings of a house back to the owner you know oh, yeah, no, we want the door opening this way versus that way. There's a little bit of that to do, um, and that gets signed off in December, but there's no... The budget risk on that resides with the contractor. Um, the groundworks is being done, as I said, at the moment. So I'm confident that the project will be um, close to complete in April 2026. Um, B6 Wattpack have... Um, basically kept their side of the bargain in terms of all the work they've done today. So I'm reasonably confident in them. But, you know, we'll plan also for a potential 2027. But there's no doubt that the way it's been contracted, the penalties and all of that work that's gone in, um, there is absolute um, sort of focus on it being that, that early 2026, no doubt about it. So I would say reasonably confident, but you never say never until you sort of run out onto the paddock on that first day.
3: You did right there, but uh, I can tell you right here and now, speaking from someone who's been sitting uh, sideline, uh, on some pretty cold winter nights uh, for the last five or six years, or well, even longer, mate. I can tell you it's a it's a welcome decision from uh, a, a Sky commentary point of view. I can promise you that as well. A hey, lot. Congratulations on, on getting it through. Uh, I know you're a focal point of it, uh, so is the the rugby side of things and. Great news, absolutely great news that Christchurch is going to get what they deserve. Thanks, mate. Thanks for your time.
9: Thanks, mate. Thank you.
3: Yeah, Colin Mansbridge there, CEO of the Crusaders. Of course, that will be uh, one of the big draw cards, won't it? Of course, uh, in 2026, it will be uh, the Crusaders in that first uh, season at home. That might be uh, Canterbury NPC time as well. Uh, Great incentive for players to go to Christchurch and hang around when the facilities are going to be that damn good. It is uh, 9.48 here on SENZ. Uh, We've got uh, some text to read out, a multi before 10 o'clock. And then we'll uh, encourage you to call in after 10 with your thoughts on that. uh, And then also uh, your forecast for the test match tomorrow night in particular. This week I've been unable to tune in, but as a betting man, I think the TAB have got the odds on tomorrow's test match completely wrong. Uh, Clearly not the only one who thinks so. Ireland opened at 4.20 and have moved into 3.70. Even at the current odds, they are way overs in my mind. This is going to be close, a coin toss, if you will. Do you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely, totally agree. I think they're great value at $3.70. And speaking of great value, we'll have a multi for you shortly.
6: Every week I catch up with Kiwi women doing great things in the world of sport. Join me, Ricky Swanell, 10am Sundays for
8: Trailblazers on SENZ.
2: He's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
3: Right, to multi for the weekend, the Cowboys to beat the Sharks tonight at a dollar 83. The All Blacks uh, to beat Ireland 1 to 12, 1 to 12, so very tight encounter $2.80 and Australia to turn the tables back on England, uh, and that is uh, at the Sydney Cricket Ground tomorrow night at a dollar 67 at uh, $8.55. So, uh, quite a handsome return for that one. I think it's uh, a real possibility. So, uh, after the news uh, coming up here uh, very shortly, uh, it'll be talk back time. A chance to win a Chemist Warehouse voucher for 50 bucks. Your thoughts uh, on the how you think the tests going to go this weekend, Christchurch people, you're finally getting your stadium. How happy are you? Warriors back in action, plenty to talk about. We look forward to your calls after the news here with Araha.
6: Talk Back Time with Smithy. Brought to you by Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. Call now for a chance to win today's $50 Chemist Warehouse voucher. 0800 150 811.
3: Absolutely, Uh, give us a call on uh, how you think it's going to go tomorrow night and if it doesn't go well tomorrow night, what's the next step you feel uh, in the future, immediate future of the All Blacks and their hierarchy. So uh, there's that to talk about, Uh, what about uh, the Open Championship, the scores uh, have have finally finished, uh, I think after a marathon day, Uh, certainly uh, a lot of watching to be held, I think it started about 5.30 last night and it really only finished about an hour ago, the coverage, so staggering amount of golf. Uh, for the 156, I think, competitors uh, in the uh, 150th Open Championship. First up this morning, uh, Neville, I know you'll have uh, some thoughts on the golf. Nev, uh, good morning to you. Uh, just looking at uh, the uh, leaderboard in the top 13, there are four players, Shambo Westwood, Johnson and Taylor Gooch, uh, all out of the live uh, side of things. So the Rebels have gone well.
10: Yeah, they have, actually. Lee Westwood's there. Did you mention him?
3: Yes, I did, yep. So,
10: yeah, and Poulter, I think. So, uh, yeah, they are well represented. Um, Johnson's looking quite good. Uh, and I think Foxy will be very pleased with his effort. A um, couple of birdies late in the round. But the sad thing was, when you were sighted him, um, they didn't even have the leaderboard showing anything down below par or... Yeah, I didn't see Fox's name hardly ever. So uh, some of the coverage is pretty ordinary, to be honest. (laughs) Um, But anyway, that's that's by. I was just going to say, Christchurch, get behind it, everybody. All you antis, don't do what they do in Dunedin. We've still got people saying they should mothball the stadium, would you believe? So... um, I just hope Christchurch people appreciate what they're going to get, even though it's going to cost them three times what the need and paid. Um, but that's a fact of life. But I just also wanted to mention um, um, with this Liz thing, um, all this you are about them not being able to get ranking points is, is a red herring because... The Asian Tour are paired up with the Live Golf Series and they have a wonderful um, new sort of program of 20 events, I think. And the prize money is going to be increased to 1.5 to 2 million per event. And all the Live players can play the Asian Tour and get their ranking points. So what in fact the PGA Tour and... Um, DP World Tour are doing is they're going to grow golf in other parts of the world with their attitude that's my opinion I I haven't got any time for the format that DP, uh, that the Live Tour um, is using I I mean I I just can not be bothered watching that sort of thing but I put it in the category of 2020 cricket and it has got a place Um, but I think Many of the Live players will be very happy with where they are and what they're
3: able to do. Yes, well, it's been one of the most talked-about uh, subjects, hasn't it, uh, Neville? When you you look at, uh, and, and it's not just been talked about really at uh, board level or CEO level. It has been talked about uh, in the very highest, the highest areas of the game. And when you talk about those areas, you're talking about the likes of. Jack Nicholas, of course and uh, Tiger Woods all having their say on it and uh, it's uh, a big there's a big gulf at the moment and that's a GULF um, and they've got to try and bridge that somehow whether they'll come come to an agreement like um, the ICC did with the BCCI. Um, uh, Indian cricket of course is so powerful to find a window for the IPL that is a uh, uh, amenable to everybody to be able to use that window. Uh, whether they can do that in golf, I'm not quite sure but um, at some point it's going to reach uh, a crisis point, you kind of believe, because at the end of the day, the money is the factor, just as it was in the cricket. Nev, thank you very much. Have a great weekend. Joe, Joe from Gizzy. Morning to you, Joe.
5: Morning, Smithy. Morning, Smitty. Hey, our man, our man makes a couple of really good points there, you know, regarding the, uh, the live... You know, two are going away and it, it is just like the IPL and everybody said that wouldn't work and, you know, 15 years later, you know, they're, they're generating billions and billions and, and every cricketer goes and plays there and they've made a, they've made room for it in in the schedule, you know, global cricket schedule. A live tour, I think, is just it's, it's a disruption, you're right, but it'll carry on. If Dustin Johnson or one of those boys gets up and wins the British Open, you know, it'll open a few eyes. But, yeah know but I ring up you know i'm I'm sick and tired tired Kiwis, mate jumping on jumping on you know our coaches and our players when we get a loss yeah we, we lose one game and and you know we have a hard game we, we had a few cards against us and we had a few decisions to go sideways right and we didn't have a couple of players in because they were injured yeah and the Irish make history and the Irish are, you know they're on their drums and they're running around freaking Guinness all over the show, you know. And, and what are the Kiwis doing? Kiwis are just knife in the back, knife in the chest of Foster, knife in the back, knife in the chest of Kane, you know, running our team down. Hansen lost, right? They won a World Cup. Hansen and Ted lost to South Africa. They lost to, a, you know, to Australia in Dead Rubbers. And guess what? We didn't jump up and decide to stab them in the back in the neck. You know, just like the Warriors. Mate, our Warriors came home, first time in us, you know, 1,038 days and won, you know, against the Tigers, and now I'm hearing Kempe on the morning show saying, oh, no, no chance against Parramatta. You know, it's like we need to get behind these people. We need to to stop chopping people down, right, and we need to get behind them. And I get sick and tired of listening to Kiwis, you know, rattle up, oh, you know, oh, you you know, even... Even, you know, you, Smithy, saying that the price of $3.40 for the Irish or uh, $4.20 was too far out. We need it to be $3.70. You look at those games and then I listen to your, your Irish guy who came on earlier. We are not far off in that game when we had 14 men, you know? When we play teams with 14 men, we put 30 or 40 on them. The Irish didn't put 30 or 40 on us, you know? In the first half, they were camped in our 22 for 36 minutes, and, they, and what did they get? Ten points. We rolled up the other end for three minutes, got, got seven points. We didn't take opportunities. We had cards go against us. The Warriors, you know, they have so many calls go against them, but do not, as a country, you know, stand up and say, let's get rid of it, let's get broom through our coaches, broom, you know. Everyone's rubbishing Andrew Webster before the man's even had a chance. And it's like, hey, next year will be his year because this year he's got a squad of what he's got. There's a lot of money in the cap. If he can get some players coming in and he's got a few good ones coming, you know, if he signs Joe Tarpany and, you know, Clockstad's coming and then they've got, you know, Cody Walker coming out of Manly, you know, and we can shape that team, all of a sudden, the same people who are bagging my Warriors will be back on the bandwagon. Right? So, as you know, Smithy, Sport goes up and down. Sport sport is, a, is anybody's turn. You step out there, right, like the woman did last night who was supposed to be going to Commonwealth Games as, you know, world champions and got their ass handed to them. 15 points. Now, right, now they need to work hard. They need to work really hard when they go to Com Games. But no, nobody, I'm not bagging them, it's like, Roddy, you can see where they're, where, where, and we had no grace in the wiki, right? And she's she's worth those fifteen goals. So it's like radio. That's how it works out. But, but I, I just get sick and tired of our country bagging our, our our people. You know who are doing their best and things. don't go their way and they lose one game of rugby. The Warriors lose. A, you know a few games. We win one, and then we're bagging them again.
3: Got gotcha, your Joe. Got your point. I understand uh, where you're coming from. Where you're coming from. I'm not quite sure what it's going to take. Um, if, if ever they're going to be, the country's going to be fully supportive of Ian Foster and Sam Kane, I, I'm not sure they'll ever achieve that luxury uh, because of, um, I think they were sort of behind the eight ball before they even started in this campaign. But however, uh, I get where you're coming from, Joe. And I think, uh, thank you very much for your sentiments. Uh, next caller is Brad from Taronga. Brad, good morning to you, Brad.
11: Yeah, g'day Smithy. Just on the rugby this weekend, I think the All Blacks need to play a game plan that starts to bring fatigue back into the match again um, to try and speed up the pace of the game. It is so slow now with Ireland holding American football style huddles before every line out, with the referees holding court in the middle of the field for five minutes to decide what sort of card a player should get with scrums taking a couple of minutes sometimes. We've lost that fatigue, so these Northern teams can just play the game at their pace for 80 minutes. You know you've got eight fresh guys on the bench mm. coming on. The All Blacks need to kick to keep the ball in play, to avoid the lineouts, and try and get the minutes in play up to wear these guys down. We've always been the one of the fittest sides in World Rugby, and we have to try and use that to our advantage. You know, that Origin game, I don't know how many minutes in play on Wednesday night, but those guys were absolutely knackered and it made for a great spectacle once the fatigue come into the game. But we're just not seeing that in rugby and I think that's to the All Blacks' disadvantage.
3: I think that's a terrific point, Brad. Uh, a terrific point that you make there. Um, I, I, I take that on board because, of course, when you have fatigue, Brad, you have mistakes, don't you?
11: Yeah, that's right. And, and it gives our game breakers and our bench the, the chance to make an impact. But, you know, to, in order to do that, I think the All Blacks have to... You know, there were 20 minutes against France in that last game last year, after half-time, where they actually tucked the ball in and went a lot closer to the ruck, went for the pick-and-goes. I think that these these opposition teams are just targeting our pods two and three wide. I don't think it matters if we go two and three wide. Their line speed is so quick, we're always caught behind the advantage line. I'd like to see our forwards come back in a lot tighter and start start going for the pick-and-goes, put a blanket over them and support each other in tight. And just even if we're making a metre or two metres, it's better than going five metres back when we're trying to go out the back. We're not, we're not choosing our time to go wide very well. And I'd just like to see us wear them down up front with a little bit more muscle and grunt, closer into the rut just to suck those guys in and, and then look to go wide. But you know, easier said than done, Smithy, but... We've got to get them and we've got to make them tired. We have to tire the opposition, but the you know simply the, the way the game's gone, the opposition they're just not getting that that those levels of fatigue that we maybe saw five or ten years ago to to allow the game a chance to open up.
3: Brad, I think that's an excellent point. Uh, thank you very much for your call this morning, and uh, uh, I hope they uh, take some of that on board. Actually, I think round the fringes you are dead right round the fringes, and that's where you're, the likes of, uh, of Fokotava particularly late in the game, can be so lethal around those fringes with his ability to run uh, from the, uh, around the ruck area. So, look forward to that. Uh, Brad, thanks for those points. Excellent. Uh, Dean, uh, probably the final save for the week for us, as always. Uh, what do you reckon?
12: I well, mate, I couldn't sleep. I woke up at 3 o'clock and thought, God, oh, I've got to get back to sleep. Couldn't. So I started work at 4 this morning. But that guys he's onto it. But the, the problem with it is, we've got to get the ball. So I think they're, there's every rugby team on the planet has that game plan, but you can't do it without the ball. So, so long as that four-pack, which I think having Scotty Barrett at six pushing and a definite line-out option again, so no, we'll be all right. right. We'll get it. If we get 50% of the ball, the I reckon we can win it 28-21, but, gee, I can't wait, man. I just, it's just it's, This is like World Cup stuff, and it's all very well people ringing up saying we're giving Forrester a hard time, and that we've got to be right to. His record is disgusting simple as that. The kettles in New Zealand. If you love rugby and you watch super rugby you can see there's players knocking on the door, but the door opens for half a game then it shuts. So there's issues with, the. for me, the amount of Blues players in the squad for a start. The Crusaders proved that at super rugby level they're not up to it when the pressure goes on. The Highlanders give them a scare. The Brumbies should have beat them apart from a NAF referee's decision when they didn't get a penalty when Romano held the ball. We bring back a guy from Japan who Brodie Retellick came back and it took him a while to get back in, but they put another guy from Auckland straight back in when you've got a guy that's got Auckland to where they actually ended up in Romano, I believe he should have got the call up because he was ready to go. And he plays exactly the style of rugby that Ireland play, that England play, that controls the ball. The game is simple, Smithy. We've got all the talent in the world in the back line. The sooner they get uh, Paunuku to 13 and move Rico back to 11, we'll go good. Geordie into 12. RTS can be on the bench. And as he saying, he should be on the wing. Well, fullback in league and wing and rugby is pretty much the same. His high bill skills are all there. He's quick as. Second five, eight. well, I don't know. He hasn't really shown enough there for me, but good luck to him. But I honestly think he might get a run on the wing when he does come on. And if that's 20 minutes to go, He'll know that. He'll know. If they just tell him to finish off, what better man to give the ball to with one man to beat? An ex leaguey mm.
3: Yeah. Uh, look, I, I, I totally concur with you, Dean. Um, I, I, I do honestly believe, of course, that um, the All Black job, it's one of the toughest jobs in the country in terms of scrutiny, and they're there, they're right up there, um, to be analysed and scrutinised uh, with the finest... Finest of, uh, of Scalpels uh, And that's the way it works And unfortunately for Ian Foster He's copping plenty of it at the moment But as you say uh, Dean And you've always said the most important thing is to win Do that tomorrow night And uh, Sunday morning, Monday morning It will be a little bit easier for uh, Those particular all black coaches And it's not just Ian Foster As uh, was pointed out uh, There's a lot of work uh, goes uh, on With those other coaches as well some of those necks uh, might be feeling just a little bit uncomfortable too if they lose tomorrow night. 10.18 here. Uh, I thank you so much for all your calls this morning and uh, throughout the week, actually. and We'll make a decision on that Chemist Warehouse voucher very shortly uh, and then we'll have a panel too. To
8: me, yeah.
6: Yeah.
3: Right, panel this morning, James Regan and Sam Ackerman. And uh, Sam Ackerman, uh, great news for Benji Marshall's fans. I like the look of uh, what they're doing at West Tigers. Giving him a couple of years to settle in under the guidance of Tim Sheen. So, what do you make of that move?
13: Uh, listen, Benji Marshall is an assistant coach. I can absolutely see, it. but I can say, in all my dealings with Benji Marshall, and he has got a he's got a, a huge footy brain on him and a. Um, uh, an incredible amount of passion. I never imagined Benji Marshall as a head coach. I never thought that would be the, the right fit for him. He's a little bit flashed. I thought he might be leaning towards the media things that he's doing now a little bit more. Uh, and I, I, I think it's a really bold move. I know it's been called unprecedented. Obviously, a lot of people made assistant With the view of being training up to be a head coach, to make it as explicit as it is in two years' time, after two years of being assistant, you will be head coach. It's a lot to put on the guy, uh, and he's working with somebody he knows so well in Tim Sheens. It seems like, uh, um, to me, as good a move as I can imagine... Uh, West Tigers had to play. Tim Sheens didn't want to come and be the head coach on a le- long-term basis. And realistically, who are they going to get to be the next next one? Bring somebody in uh, and then almost essentially start again with Sheens going back into a director's a football role. So it makes sense in that regard. If they see Benji Marshall as the man going forward, he certainly isn't the man to do it right now. So what a, what a great concept. To put together a proven combination who know how each other work already and start to transfer those same skills onto them. Uh, Benji Marshall is so competitive. I know people might like but the fact of the matter is what he really sets his, his mind to. His heart was never really in rugby passionately because he would have stayed longer. I he's a success. He should never have had the back end of a career that he had. Benji Marshall was supposed to have. Price deals, he took uh, he took you know, blows to the egos, prepared to play a bit of reserve grade, a bit of uh, a bit of who will go down as one of the all-time greats to have worn the uh, the jersey for the Kiwis and uh, the the way he did. Phenomenon. He's got fortitude and you gonna need he's gonna need that to coach West, that's for sure. But I'm I'm excited. Through a different lens If you can do that as a coach Who knows I mean there's so many Tim Sheen's disciples
3: And uh, James Regan uh, Good morning to you uh, What the difference there will be Is because he's such a, a, a loved player uh, At West Tigers He will start his coaching career Whatever on the front foot As opposed to someone like an Andrew Webster Who starts under pressure On day one
14: Yeah yeah, that's right, and and it's it's a, a, an amazing appointment for the future as well, and the Tigers' backroom should probably be commended on that in, in terms of they're not just going for a quick fix. It's quite clear that they've got a plan in place and they'll, they'll hopefully stick to that. Um, but the the confidence that Benji will give these guys, especially the younger players who I think he's worked with a little bit over the past year or so at the club, the confidence he'll give them, will just be immense. We've seen we've seen it with England and Baz McCullough, right? That that's the one message that's come out of that camp is how confident Baz makes those players feel. It's the same kind of thing we'll probably see with Benji and the Tigers, right? He'll be able to work a little bit in the background quite a bit over the part over the next couple of years, particularly as I say, with those younger guys, young hards coming through, they'll be working with one of the best to ever play the game, a Santa So it, it's a it's a bold move, definitely, particularly in terms of that head coaching role. I think he does have the footy brain and the temperament to do it. Um, and I don't think he'd be signing up for this if he didn't think he could do it. But he's going to give them such a boost for a club who, let's be honest, over the past few years has been down on the dumps. Like, let's not mess around. They're in a pretty bad way. So, yeah, that play its a pretty good move.
3: Okay, James. Uh, it's been. It seems like forever um, that the Warriors had their homecoming, their successful homecoming against the West Tigers, uh, but they're back in action tonight against the Parramatta Eels. Look, looking at the side that they've picked, uh, not too many people are confident about this. How are you feeling about it?
14: Yeah, it probably depends which Eels turn, uh, team turns up. Right, like they're they're pretty hot and cold, and when they run cold, you can overrun them uh, if you're in a game, but. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd say the Warriors would have liked to not have that bye last week, given given the confidence that that homecoming game would have given them. Um, it, it really depends, as I say, which eels team turn, turns up and which Warriors team turns up. If they're if they're full of furs and they're ready to go after that game, that they are a couple of players down. But if they're up for the season now, then on. Then then it could be another another test that they office for the Warriors.
3: Okay, Sam. How are you viewing tonight? Then,
13: uh, well, I, I, I do not give uh, a flying F about the uh, about the results. Maybe, quite frankly, I, I, I'm really, really interested to see which, how the Warriors turn up attitude-wise because the the Warriors of the previous seven games prior to the homecoming. Folded, meekly, too often, didn't have the intentional fortitude to fight back to be able to go, things aren't going our way, let's wait for our opportunities. In the homecoming, they had wave upon wave upon wave of possession, and they made it count, and they did the right thing, they were smart, they were patient. I want to see a patient Warriors team, a team that's prepared to wait for their opportunities, team prepared to back themselves in defence, and go, OK, we know we're absorbing it now, our turn will come, rather than uh, panicked offloads, uh, rather than trying to uh, make a, a great big hit happen to change things up. I, I want to see the smart, intelligent way they played versus the Tigers played against the Eels. There'll be a chance, like James says, if the Eels aren't, aren't on their game. But if you don't put the Eels under pressure, they will find a gear. They're capable of it. So I, just, I, I hope that the Warriors can um, produce something that's has a, a relation to the Tigers game rather than having that be an aberration from uh, what the previous seven weeks was.
3: Okay, Sam Ackerman, James Regan with us uh, on the panel this morning. I'll take a short break for the news uh, and when we come back, uh, we'll talk uh, some rugby, a bit of netball, uh, maybe even uh, a bit of Christchurch Stadium as well. Plenty to come here on the panel.
6: Talk the Opinions, the panel. Talk, talk then, talk to me, yeah.
3: James Regan and Sam Ackerman with us on the panel this morning. Uh, and Sam, uh, how big and how important is this test match for the All Blacks tomorrow night, you feel, in terms of the immediate future of uh, those associated with the team?
13: It's got, it can go one of two ways, Smooth. I think it's obviously crucial. I mean, losing a series at home to Ireland, as good as Ireland is, and as, and as much as they've been our uh, modern day uh, Achilles heel. The, the, the fact is that losing a series at home would have been implausible um, to start with, and certainly after that first test, to go from points uh, to suddenly working out where it all went wrong is going to prove a nightmare. But for those, everybody calling for the head of, uh, of Ian Foster, I, I want to put a little bit of perspective here. Now, I was one who would have absolutely picked Scott Robertson. Do we really think the best way to get Scott Robertson into this job would be to allow uh, a disaster thing to happen here, throw him in mid season here with the plan of getting ready for the World Cup the year beyond when there are no no razor Robertson plans in place and needing to start that directly and uh, make that kick that through i don't know about that I, i'm not sure that that's setting a guy up for success and should you know should that happen and uh, and Scott Robertson not be successful at the World Cup will he then be given a a buy we'll be given a okay. It's all right. We didn't give you much time. I don't think so. It's not how we're not that kind of country. We like to think we are, but we're not. Uh, so I'm I'm really interested to again, much like I was saying about the Warriors, what the reaction is within this All Black side. What what is the uh, you know the team hasn't changed so significantly that it's a different side on the park. It's generally you know obviously when you get the opportunity to bring a Ritalic back, you're going to do that. A lock and combinations combination sorry, is, is what you want to see. So that's, that's great, but it's not going to solve everything. It doesn't, it doesn't change, change the poor decisions. It doesn't stop uh, the, the other team running harder and running faster just because you've changed a couple of players. It's, uh, the attitude's going to be huge for this. And, but look, all we find, Smithy. I've got complete confidence because finally Roger Tuibas check's on the bench. So problem solved. I don't know what everyone's worried about.
3: Ah <laughs> yes, Mister Fix, Mister Fixit, it, yeah. Uh, James, what do you reckon? Now, what's what's your take on the importance of the occasion?
14: Oh, yeah, it's huge. It, it's massive, and you, as a fan, and as someone in the media, and, and someone who loves the game, they, these are the games you want to see, right? Like the, the the game, the series is on the line. Sorry, history is on the line for the Irish. They'll be well up for it, uh, and the All Blacks. You'd have to say their pride is on the line a little bit as well. Bearing in mind they go to South Africa next for two tough, tough tests over there as well, so they will want a win under their belt for that one. It's it's, it's, it's massive. I agree with what Sam says about, about Ian Foster that there were certainly things in that game in Dunedin that Ian Foster cannot control, right? In, in terms of the mistakes and the errors, and the, the players will be the first ones to admit that, but as a spectacle and as everything you want with rugby. Uh, a lot has been said about the game and, and the way the game is appreciated and, and all the stuff that goes around it, but this is this is what you want as a fan uh, and it doesn't go much bigger than this and I think the All Blacks will roll back if there's anything that's pretty dangerous in World Sport. It's a wounded All Blacks team and this team is pretty wounded at the moment, so I've no doubt they'll come out and it should be a good game, but I think, I think in the end, the All Blacks beast will fire up and and we'll see a pretty comprehensive
3: win. Well, in around about four years' time, there's a great possibility the All Blacks will be running out uh, now at a brand new Takaha Stadium in Christchurch. James, uh, was that a fait accompli for you, or, uh, or do you see more spanners in the works as such?
1: Yeah, probably with a lot of things
14: in Christchurch at the moment, I'll believe it when I see it. It's great, obviously what happened yesterday, and, and you know getting the tick of approval. But until it's out, we see Canterbury really Crusaders or whoever we'll run out onto that field, and we see events in the stadium. Uh, I'll uh, I'll just hold my breath a little bit. Look, it's great, and, and the, the city badly needs it, badly, badly needs something like that to to get things going and events going down there. So it's great. Uh, I'm as you just the news there. Cool man, so it's not paying out of sleep. for him and for the Crusaders and, and rugby down there, but um, not until the final the bit of cement and the, the grass is down, I'll, I'll probably
3: believe that one. OK, well, Sam, here's an interesting thing because um, we're always led to believe there's looking to be a second NRL franchise in this country, um, and there has been a um, um, possibility that it could be a South Island franchise. Uh, what a home base that would be.
13: Well, absolutely. Also, having another uh, franchise here is, uh, falls very much into James's view on uh, the stadium being built uh, on time and to budget. Uh, I'll believe it when I see it. Uh, I think it sounds great. Um, I think that the, the impact of the Dolphins will decide whether there's really going to be the the same thirst and appetite to to keep expanding the, the NRL through when it was back in the ARL back in 1995. Did the same thing. It got too big too fast and. Things splintered off, so I would be—I uh, would certainly say that a stadium of that level would be need to be filled um, by as many people who, who can um, can occupy it as possible. And I'd like to think that if there was a second franchise, they would even be smart enough to go. Do you know what? We—you know—we don't have to be the the Canterbury anything or the Wellington anything. We can just be the. Let's say the Orcas, as the team was thrown forward previously, so the Orcas, and why not play half your games in Wellington half your games in in Christchurch? It doesn 't have to affect your identity. you're just what you're saying is that we're not Auckland, uh, and you can work a fan base that goes far beyond just a a regional a regional area too. so to me that' would be the smartest move, but stadiums like that, anyone who's been to um, Forsyth Bar and uh, you know went to Carisbrook previously, Carisbrook was full filled, filled with uh, emotion and tradition. But the two stadiums don't compare. As far as an enjoyable viewing experience, Forsyth Bar is unbelievable. To have something that even rivals that in Christchurch—that's—that's um, that's a phenomenon waiting to happen. Because we know that, uh, that it's pretty hard to to beat a Canterbury crowd when they're fired up on on anything. So I'd I'd be uh, I'd be thrilled to see it come together. But you know, look, anyone who's built a house uh, in the past few years will tell you something: everything always goes to budget and to time, and there's never any sh- shortages of supplies or, or pandemics to come and throw you behind schedule. So I'm sure it's I'm sure it's fine. I hope they're not planning use jib
3: that's a bucket load of sarcasm coming there sam Ackerman. i've got to say um right let's uh, look at uh, the silver ferns shall we sam last night they lost uh and i'd say quite comfortably lost uh 61 46 is that is that uh, something that, that they should be worried about or is it just uh part of the exercise
13: it's something they should be thrilled about. I think uh, you, you spoke to Dame Nollie earlier this week. You know that she's one of the most motivated and, and driven coaches you can hope for. Uh, and you find me a high-level coach that doesn't tell you learn more from your losses than you do your wins. Uh, to get to be exposed by a team that was trying to be well as physically dominant as the uh, men 's team was, the rushing pressure in, uh, in the mid court uh, and the size they had had to deal with, I think having that now that 's the whole point of the series this series isn 't for anything other than building towards the com game. so why not find yourself under pressure? Why not see what happens when you have a a loss in the middle of the uh, of the middle of the tournament before you need to pick yourself up for the games that matter. So I'm I'm comfortable with it. And we should point out as well is that the the silver ferns have lost to the men's team before. I think it's what five out of eight or four out of seven times now. So it's it's not a an uncommon result. But that type of pressure is really um, I think really interesting for the ferns. Interesting as well to hear Dame Nolene talk about um, not being happy with the shooting accuracy because when she selected her. Uh, her shooters, she talked about the accuracy not being something that she was focusing on, rather shooting volumes. So clearly the volume wasn't where it needed to be as well. She said we can work on accuracy, but shooting volume is important. So I don't see that's her doubting that um, that policy, but it was an interesting comment for me to think about uh, that she maybe expected the people she selected for volume to still have a higher degree of accuracy than what they're delivering.
3: Look, I totally agree with that, Um, and it was something that we did question her about the other day, but that was her policy. The more shots, the better, Uh, but the more they go in, actually, uh, it tends to influence the scorecard a a little bit more. Um, James, here's here's the uh, interesting thing for me about this netball. They now have to play the mixed team. If they lose to the mixed team, um, which is probably not going to happen, but if it did, we could find the Silver Ferns not even being in the final of this Cadbury series. That wouldn't be good.
14: Yeah, yeah, that would that would be a, a bit of a blow, wouldn't it? And uh, just on what Sam said, like he's absolutely right. It, it doesn't matter. the The result at the end of the day doesn't matter. They, they've lost to the to the men's team before, and they've gone on to win the Constellation Cup and and, and, and everything. But this isn't the same silver ferns team that we've seen over the past couple of years. There are some big no Missing no Jane Watson, no Karen Berger, no Mila and no So teething issues can be expected, but what I would say is that if anyone that can help them and turn it around, it's Dan O'Leary. That's for sure. She's proved it in the past. So by the time they get they get to the cold game, they will be as ready as they possibly can. It would be obviously a, a, a bit, um, bit of an eyebrow raising if they didn't make the final of this series. Absolutely, but. She's still playing with her team. She doesn't know her, uh, her strongest starting side yet. They've been pretty open about that. and they're, they're using this tournament exactly the way they need to. And if you can back anyone to get a team ready for a major tournament it's, it's Dame Olin total. I fundamentally and wholeheartedly believe that 100%, regardless of the results and the lead-up. So they, they will be ready.
3: James Regan and Sam Ackerman have been the panellists this morning. Thank you, gentlemen, very much. A massive uh, two or three days uh, for a number of codes in this country. Uh, And uh, I personally uh, can't wait. starts with uh, the netball tonight, the Warriors tonight, and, of course, uh, the rugby tomorrow night at uh, Sky Stadium in Wellington. Thank you so much, uh, gents. Uh, We'll have another panel on Monday morning around the same time.
2: He's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
3: Need to get the Louis Herman Watt uh, and Pip Morris very shortly. Uh, Just a couple of texts uh, in the meantime. Uh, Smithy, enjoyed your interview with Crusaders CEO and good questions too. He's a smart man, Mr Mansbridge. You can see why they are a top outfit. Exciting news with the stadium. We'll lift the city no end after all Canterbury has been through. Uh, Colin mentioned last night with Beebe on the the concourse will be like Suncorp Stadium. anyone has been there and experienced that. Well, no, they're in for something special down there in the south. Uh, Craig uh, makes a very good point. Uh, after every stoppage last week, an Irish player would lay down to time waste. Uh, certainly did that during the week too, didn't they? Against uh, the Murray All Blacks, agreed with Brad. Fatigue is not a factor anymore. Need more ball in hand, ball in play. Uh, and play. Uh, and of course, Craig, because you agreed with Brad, we'll give Brad the prize this morning uh, for the chemist warehouse voucher for the best call of the day. We'll be back very shortly with some hot tips. Through uh, Louis Herman Watt and
2: Pip Morris. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ.
6: The Loveracing.nz update your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit Loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan.
3: And Louis Herman, what uh, joins us as we look at uh, racing today, in particular at Rickerton on the Synthetic, uh, Louis.
1: Yeah, racing on the Synthetic. God bless the Synthetic. And there's a couple um, that I don't mind today, actually. they smithy just having a peruse through the fields. Uh, I'll lob a couple out, but, gee, I've be wary, because listener Chris absolutely nailed me to the post the other day for going oh from 3, saying that I was tipping out best bets. Hey, these aren't best bets. These are just a couple of selections I wouldn't mind. Um, to have a little dabble on. So there you go, Chris. There's a disclaimer for you. Race to Miss... Tavi, number two, the big weight here off Wannabe in Paris. Um, Lynn Prindergast, Prindergast prepares and just been racing in super form and I think can be winning again from Barrier 1 today with Kylie Williams. Um, It's short, but Savvy Man in race number six, the son of Savabile for the Pittmans, gets Michael McNabb on. Again, a good barrier has won, uh, out of barrier two, has won on the synthetic, so $2.20 there. Pretty short for the synthetic, but I don't mind it. And in the Open Handicap Winning Edge Presentations Race 7, I think Frankie the Fox goes back to back for Mike McCann, uh, was super in the Amberley Cup over the mile, stays at the mile, goes back to the synthetic, but we know that he can cop it, and I just think the weight relief, original gangster, stretching the weights, being the rating 91 in the race, giving Frankie the Fox, 6 kgs. I think um, I'd be expecting Frankie the Fox to get up at $3.20 there. And if you've got a bit of playing around money in the last, I think there's one at odds. Oh, it's been backed. They've beaten me to it. Twin shot, 11s into $8 this morning. That's a good sign from a stable that don't mind lobbing one out. The Pittmans... um, Diego Montez Diocca rides here, and look, I just think t- Twin Shot's way better horse with a lot more promise than it's 14 starts for one win tells you. So there's a couple to follow Chris and Smithy, and then a big day on the punt tomorrow, Smithy.
3: Mm, big day on the punt, uh, Louis. Thanks very much for that. So look forward to uh, the figure eight being act- uh, in action at Trentham for the Wellington Steeplechase, of course. Uh, the jump's one of the jumps features of. Uh, the year, to be honest, it always has been. Let's uh, hope that goes ahead. Um, no problems at all. Uh, what we can guarantee is that there will be greyhounds uh, over the weekend, and that begins today with uh, two meetings, in fact, uh, Cambridge and Addington. Uh, Pip joins us uh, this morning. Uh, Addington without uh, Trevor Wilkes all of a sudden. Yeah,
6: certainly is It was a big night for him, of course, yesterday, Smitty. Good morning to you and going out with a group one. I do hear he'll be contracted and back for a couple of meetings. Uh, next month. So we're still about a here, Trevor, but of course a, a momentous occasion. Looking forward to Addington though. and of course the news voice of Addington, Andy McCook, who'll be taking place at centre stage today, Palmerston North as well as as well there and I think in race number two. The one looks a good player there, Smithy. And for the uh, sports side of things, can tell you that the Warriors, eighty percent of the single bets are still on them head to head market but only fifty two percent of the turnover are on the Warriors, a big bet on the Eels at a dollar twelve, four thousand on them head to head, and a thousand dollars on the Cowboys as well head to head at a dollar eighty three in their game. And don't forget too about that golf promotion. You can back the outright PGA winner, and if they don't win but they finish top twenty, we can get a bonus bet up to fifty dollars. And Rory McIlroy is the best back there so far, Smithy.
3: Okay, uh, Pip. Um, what about the All Blacks? A chance you reckon they win?
6: Oh, I love. It. that they can bounce back and there's been a couple of bets on them of course we're doing the backing black as well promotion so you can back into the first try scorer and if they don't score we'll get a bonus back up to $50 in your account and the best back for that Smith is Will Jordan at $8 RDSRV are at $17 and Severese at $8 and there's been a $15,000 bet and a $10,000 bet on the All Blacks to win
3: at $1.25 Okay. let's hope the New Zealand punters are successful and that the All Blacks are as well Of course that'll go uh, hand in hand Pitt Morris there And uh, Louis Herman Watt Uh, uh, We've got to speak to Trevor Wilkes uh, After 11 o'clock Catch up with him as part of our normal greyhound visit On a Friday Uh, Very uh, sentimental Trevor Wilkes last night Uh, But uh, we'll catch up with him Very shortly and Wayne McLaughlin Scott's father as well
2: From behind the stumps to behind the mic Nothing gets past Smithy This is Mornings with Ian Smith On SENZ 11.03
3: here on SENZ, Uh, pretty sad uh, last night at uh, the Addington Greyhounds because uh, Trevor Wilkes, legendary commentator, basically said uh, goodbye, he will be back from time to time, but in terms of an absolute full-time role, he's calling the Greyhounds down there, Um, it appears that uh, it won't be any more for Trevor, he joins us now uh, this morning, Trevor uh, good morning to you. Um, you wake up this morning knowing that uh, that great stand of 43 years has, uh, has probably come to an end. How are you feeling about it now that it's uh, come to pass?
7: Yeah, good morning to you, Smithy. Yeah, look, uh, look, it's all over now, and it's a bit of a relief in a way. Uh, the health hasn't been good over the last couple of months or so, and uh, even though I really enjoyed the calling, um, it was just harder to get to the track and... Uh, you know i had the walking frame i had to try and get upstairs and you know i had a lot of help getting up there but uh gee whiz um gee it's been a long career but it's been a wonderful career and a bit of an emotional night really but uh no i enjoyed every moment of it uh, smithy
3: 43 years trevor can you remember when it first started and where
7: i do i do uh I went to QE2. It was an on-course-only meeting. They didn't have TAB meetings in those days. That was back in 1979. And the president of the club, Stuart Taylor, um, he he approached me. He knew that I was doing trials at Addington, and he, and he asked me if I could hop in and, uh, call, and call. So, yeah, So from that day on, I've had the mic in my hand, and, gee whiz, 43 years later... Well, I retired last night, but it's been a long journey, but a very excitable one, Ian.
3: Is it uh, possible to uh, to isolate a two or three highlights for you, Trevor? I mean, uh, for instance, the, the best dog you you think you've ever called, and uh, you've called thousands upon thousands of them.
7: I have, and it, look, it's always hard to compare dogs in different eras. but uh, just back in the Kui two days, I suppose if I want to single out two, Misty Anna. And uh, Magic Command, that'd be my two back in that era. And since we've gone to Addington, gee, we've had some wonderful dogs. Craig Roberts had a handful. Um, and the Faheys have had some wonderful dogs as well. John McInerney, I don't know how many winners I've called for him. I'd love a dollar for every one. But, uh, mm. look, uh, you, you know, it's hard to compare dogs in different areas, Smithy. But, uh, you know, Misty Anna, she, she's always been a great... Uh, the first hundred thousand dollar performer in the country, and when she won a hundred thousand way back in the sort of early nineties, uh, uh, that that was big money back then.
3: Mm, it was big money. You're right, uh, Trevor. It intrigues me. I mean, it's such a difficult art to do race calling at the best of times, but I, I look at uh, what you have to do in the space of maybe nineteen to twenty seconds. You have to indicate, uh, and and we're not just talking about on television because people listening on the radio as well want to know where their dog is. You have to mention it at least twice uh, in that uh, 20 seconds. How do you do that, man? It's it's such a tough thing to do.
7: Oh, it's very hard to do that in a sprint race, uh, a 520-metre race. You know, I could probably get through twice, but in a sprint, it's all over in a flash, really. As you say, they uh, they go inside 20 seconds about... uh, well, the QE2 they go about 17 odd, don't they? Set between 17 and 17 and a half seconds. So you've really only got time to go through the field once if you're lucky. But, uh yeah, I like the longer races, really. It just gives you a bit more time to settle. And the distance racing is pretty popular, too. We could probably uh, get through uh, the field easily twice and probably, uh, yeah, you've still got time to sort of, um, you know, to sort of wind up for a good finish. But uh, yeah, the sprint races are certainly, um, you know, they're the ones that uh, that really test you.
3: Chief, uh, I just wonder. Uh, you see, in Australia, they have um, a number now of of straight tracks. Straight, uh, we don't have them here. Would you see that as a possibility in this country, or or do you think um, yes. you know the circular route is better?
7: Yeah, I understand Wanganui might be the first straight track. Uh, they haven't been racing at Wanganui for a while. They've had problems on their track. But uh, I understand that Wanganui might be uh, going to a straight track. And, uh, you know, I've said in the, the interview uh, just we had recently, I said, look, the only way I can see Greyhound racing going forward, uh, we've got to introduce a couple of straight tracks. that keeps down the injuries. Uh, the racing's good. And even though it might not be the same spectacle, uh, we've got to look at the, the welfare of the animals, I guess. And uh, if it keeps down the injuries, it must be a plus, maybe.
3: What about, uh, any incidents that might have happened, uh, you know, machinery breaking down or um things that um that really brought the best out in you uh, incidents over the years that um you know a bit untoward because we, we normally expect when we hear you calling everything's operating smoothly but sometimes as we well know those things don't happen technology breaks down and uh you've got to uh ad lib and, and make do what, what about any of those experiences over the years
7: yeah there hasn't been too many uh, thankfully you know everything's gone to plan really um the only the only funny story i can tell you is uh One night it was a bit floggy at Addington, and uh, the director, uh, Doug Adams, was my director in those days, and he actually uh, suggested I call off the screen. So I thought that'd be a good idea, and uh, so I called off the screen, and I was following around to the home corner. I thought I'll just... uh, get back onto the track again once they turned for home. And when I looked out the window, there was nothing there. Of course, the it was in a seven-second delay, and the dogs had gone well past the post, and uh, I just didn't know what to do on that occasion. So it's a bit funny when you look back at it now, but it wasn't funny then. But uh, but since then, um, I, you know, the... Uh, Uh, The pitch is uh, almost instant, you know, there might be about a second or half a second delay, that's about it. So I do a lot of my calling off the screen now, most of the calling off the screen now. Uh, But uh, no, that was just a funny story that, uh, you know, that I've shared with a few people. But uh, yeah, it's not a good feeling (laughs) for
3: No, it's not. I can tell you. Um, I've had that kind of experience in cricket. I can promise you, and it's not. It's uh, yeah. a bit embarrassing when you try and catch up time that isn't there. Uh, hey, Trev, uh, forty three years. That's a hell of a commitment. Uh, any regrets? Oh no,
7: no regrets at all. You know, um, I wouldn't change anything. I've loved every moment of it, and uh, no, I've, I've worked with some wonderful people. Um, you know, on both sides of the camera. You know, the the camera people and uh, also, uh, you know, the other staff from the, the club, uh, they've been wonderful, really. And, uh, no, I've just enjoyed every moment of it, uh, Smithy.
3: If you're, if you're uh, able to in terms of your mobility and that, uh, you'll continue. Would you go to the Greyhounds? Will you keep your associations up with the people you've made uh, lifelong friendships with? Have you the opportunity?
7: Oh, for sure. No, no, for sure. I'll be going back to the Greyhounds. Um, you know, the cup meeting... Um, there's an, you know, there's a few meetings I'd love to attend each year. And, I've, you know, I've already stressed that uh, I'd love to get to Vegas. The one thing that I was booked in 2020 and due to COVID, uh, the trip had to be cancelled. But, uh, you know, that's still on the bucket list. And I'd love to go and see a Japan Cup. And now that I'm retired, even something like a, a, a Cricket World Cup or a Rugby World Cup, I must try and do that as well.
3: Trevor, uh, going to Vegas suggests you might like a flutter or two. Have you have you been a greyhound punter over the years as well, um, or just a straight caller?
7: No, just a straight caller. Um, I you know I, I like the odd quaddie uh, on a, on a Sunday and a and a, and a Friday. Um, you know I'm I'm already a, really a quaddy taker or a pick six taker. I don't spend a lot of money, and I've never had a bet while I'm calling. Um, I, I don't associate the two, um, I think you're either there to do a job, you've got eight dogs to follow not just one and it's been a rule of mine for quite some time and I, I just don't like betting when I'm calling.
3: Aside from the the fact that you you like the, the thought of straight tracks coming in as a bit of variety etc what would be the biggest message as you say goodbye to the industry and the capacity you've been in? What would be the uh, the biggest message you would give to those people running the industry, uh, Trev, in terms of its future?
7: Well, just do the best for the game. Uh, just do the best for the game. It's a wonderful sport. Um, you know, I, I, I'd be I'd be very disappointed if greyhound racing stopped. I know there's a few wanting uh, the game stopped, but look, there's some wonderful people involved. It is a good sport. Ninety nine point nine percent of the uh, the owners and trainers, they love their dogs, they look after them, and please, just keep the industry going. Um, It'll be a big shame if it was stopped.
3: Well, Trevor Wilkes, uh, I can say you've given uh, so much to the game, uh, it's uh, sad that uh, we won't be hearing you, uh, except for every now and then, uh, Mr, because uh, it's just one of those voices that's been synonymous with uh, the game, and perhaps uh, particularly down in that Christchurch area, so uh, all the best with the health. That's priority number one. Get that sorted out, please. Uh, and then get to Vegas and get to those things that you want to do. You fully deserve it. You've been uh, a true legend in the industry and I take my hat off to you. And thank you so much for your time this morning.
7: And thank you so much for those kind words, Smithy. Um, yeah, I'll certainly get myself right. I'll take your advice. Thanks so much. Thanks
3: so much. Cheers. Trevor Wilkes there, uh, folks. Uh, an absolute, as I say, a legend. We, we throw that out uh, a lot that word but uh, when you commit 43 years of your life to uh, one job and you do it to that level for that long uh, you're a legend it's as simple as that it is eleven thirteen here on SENZ and what we're going to do now is I think uh, take a break and when we come back we might have an early stump smithy I think an early stump smithy a uh, hundred bucks up for grabs so 0800 150 um, we'll be taking those calls in around about four minutes time
2: This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. Ian Smith's had a good match here.
6: Stumped by Smithy.
11: Ian Smith really is top class at his job.
0: And we have a big one, Smithy, to end the week for stumped. Stumped SCNZ Mornings up for grabs today is a $100 TAB bonus bet. After the stumping yesterday, Smithy, what are you thinking you think we can maybe push this to 150 for a monday or are you in a are you in a giving mood here
3: well, i'm not in a giving mood um <laughs> I'm, I'm not really in, in the business of just flicking money away my mates will tell you that uh so here's uh, i'm crying i'm trying i'm I am trying absolutely and uh, i look forward to uh a bit of competition today so yes a hundred dollars up for grabs who we got on
0: the line and uh what categories are we looking at uh today Logan. Uh, first cab off the rank coming up uh, to the crease, we have Brent from Hamilton. H-Town, come in, mate. How you
10: going, Brent? Going to bring the shield up, Smoothie, for running the took around?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, if, I'm,
3: if I'm coming up Hamilton, well, will bring the shield. Uh, actually, I'll do that. I'll call in the rugby union us here in Napier. Uh, I'll bring it up for a ride, so and uh, I'll give you a, a bang on the pipe sprint so you can come and have a look at it, because it'll be a wild, because you do, I'll tell you that.
8: <laughs>
10: <laughs> nice fella, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, you are going to pry that log of wood from his hands, man, I tell you that, it does not come easy. Uh, the topics today for you, Brent and Smithy, we've got cricket, boxing, and American football. Take your pick.
10: American
0: football. Oh, I'll have to go to cricket
10: then, I suppose. Okay. i my real skills.
0: <laughs> good luck, mate. <laughs> By the sounds of it, Smithy, school holidays going down well there in Hamilton. Here we go. Cricket questions for you both. Trent Bolt is no longer the world number one men's ODI bowler. Who now holds that top spot?
10: Oh, that's Uh, Anderson
7: One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field.
0: Smitty over to you
3: No um, I've got absolutely no idea because those scores of rankings don't mean a heck of a lot to me but I would be thinking it might be an Australian it might be Mitchell Stark
7: One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field
0: not an Aussie, okay. we, go, we go to India with Jasprit Bumrah. He is now the world number one ODI bowler. Second question for you, Brank, still alive. Michael Bracewell currently has an ODI batting average of 86.50. How many ODIs has he played? 11. One of the worst things I have ever seen
7: done on a cricket field.
0: No, uh, as Richie says. Uh, over to you, Smithy. Well, um, I can't remember
3: too many more that he's played than these uh, couple he's played against Ireland. Uh, he might have made a debut a little bit earlier than that. At most, I would say that he's played four. Four?
7: One of the worst things I have ever seen
3: done on a cricket field.
0: Very close, Smithy. Five, three against the Netherlands, oh. and then the, the two against India so far. That's it.
3: Okay, fair enough.
0: So last nah. one, last one, last one hundred dollars up for grabs here, Brent. Which wicketkeeper holds New Zealand's record for the most dismissals in Test cricket? I place for Northern Districts. Oh, What's
10: the um, name? No, I can't think of the name. It's not Brad Green, they that other guy. Oh, no, I'll just go Brad Booth on.
7: One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field,
0: Smithy. Wicket keeping Brent,
3: knowledge. You're going to absolutely kick yourself here, Brent. Brent, I, I'm sorry, because uh, he doesn't love that far from you. I think it's fair to say as well. Um, he goes by his initials rather than his first name of Bradley. And his oh, name sorry. is B J Watling. B J Watling, yeah. Brent.
10: There's
3: a picture of
0: wicket. Right in the slot,
3: and away it goes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Brian could could not <laughs> hold his contain uh, his excitement there. That was uh, you line that up, Smithy. No need for a third umpire or anything. Gone back to the pavilion. You are stumped. I'm sorry, Brent. So we're going to go up to 150 on Monday. 150 on Monday. Well, there you go. He's a legend.
10: Uh, oh, he got the shield.
3: <laughs> <laughs> got the shield, and I got 150 bucks as well. I got that as well, Brent. So you make sure you line up on Monday morning because uh, if you're first, doesn't matter if you played today, if you're first, off, uh, first cab off the rank on Monday, you get another crack. So, uh, Brent, have a great weekend. Yeah. And to all those people yeah. that tried to get through this morning, uh, thank you very much for that. And so, yeah, that's, uh, you, that's the good news. We're gonna... Yeah, cheers, Brent. Uh, we're going to try and get hold of uh, Wayne McLaughlin, who currently uh, we're led to believe is in Canada. Uh, waiting in Toronto, in fact, uh, waiting to uh, watch his son over the weekend, Scott McLaughlin, and uh, practice, and of course, uh, in that race uh, in the early hours of uh, Monday morning. So, being able to sit in uh, grandstands or in pit lane or wherever they do as parents uh, must be um, a weird sort of feeling, uh, one of great excitement. Uh, great pride, but uh, what kind of fear factor is in there as well because of the speeds that they go up And, of course, uh, Wayne McLaughlin was uh, there at Indianapolis, uh, I'm pretty sure, uh, when um, uh, when Scott crashed. Scott crashed out of the race, and he said, uh, Scott said, I walked away with only a, a hurt ego, a bruised ego uh, as a result of that. So uh, we'll look forward to talking to uh, Wayne McLaughlin after 11.30 this morning. And uh, what's that I hear? Breaking news? uh, Do I hear some breaking news coming through? Yes, I do. Okay.
0: Yes, you do, Smithy. Breaking news out of the Black Caps camp uh, ahead of the the third uh, ODI there against Ireland. Adam Milne has been ruled out of the remainder of the team's European tour with an Achilles injury. New Zealand cricketer reporting Milne felt pain in his left Achilles tendon during the team's first net session in Ireland. And a scan this week revealed that he would need some rest and rehabilitation time. Uh, that That timeline for the injury means that the newly contracted Wellington Firebird will likely only be available for the final two matches of the tour against the Netherlands. Needing extra bowling coverage for the squad, in comes Jacob Duffy. The selectors felt he was deserving of the selection and that he'd been impressive in his time away with the Test and ODI squads in England and Ireland respectively. And coach Shane Jurgensen said the whole squad was feeling for Adam. We're naturally disappointed for Adam. He's a great character in any team and I'm sure he'll apply his strong will to this next phase of rehabilitation. So yes, Adam Milne is now out, at least for the foreseeable future. Smithy.
3: Well that's re- really sad because Adam Milne in his early part of his career had a lot of injury issues um, and uh, he went away and he, he bulked himself up, beefed himself up to the point where he was pretty much injury-free for a a good period of time and bowling at good speeds too. Uh, Part of the last T20 World Cup, I remember him well, getting the speeds right up there. Uh, And a lot of experience too playing in in white ball cricket. So that's a real shame that they they lose him. And uh, Achilles, you say that you don't want to muck around with those and um, be very, very careful with an Achilles as uh, any sportsman, but as a fast bowler in particular, as a a fast bowler, You've got niggles with your Achilles, you've got uh, lack of confidence in your landing foot or your delivery stride. Uh, That's uh, not such a good thing. So, Boy, Uh, bad news for Adam Milne, good news for Jacob Duffy, who's been a fringe player for quite some time, absolutely grabbing at hold of it uh, by the scruff of the neck. Uh, Important times too, uh, because uh, running out of uh, opportunities to force your inclusion into the uh, Black Caps T20 World Cup uh, squad for... Uh, the World Cup coming up uh, around Australia, uh, the serious side of that starts uh, on the 22nd of October, finishes around about 12th, 13th of November, so it's a nice quick fire tournament uh, but without uh, without Adam Milne uh, and the <clears> think <throat> that puts a lot on uh, Lockie Ferguson, doesn't it, in the fast bowling ranks, the genuine fast bowling ranks. Uh, just repeat uh, one of the texts we had through yesterday and uh, a gentleman asked us to read this out so uh, we're obliged and we'll do it again today. There is a charity day a rugby match on the 23rd of July at Horaki North Rugby Club. It's to raise funds and awareness uh, for motor neurone disease, with the jerseys, among other items, auctioned off at the end. It's with the Thames Valley Rugby Union for for a guy, Miles McDuff, who's suffering from the condition. Is there a way to get some promotion mentions on the radio? Yep, sure is. And uh, I'll continue to mention, I'll make sure that I haven't uh, wiped this particular text. Coming through, and uh, I'll try and give it a mention each day on your behalf. And uh, for Miles, thinking of you, Miles McDuff, uh, thinking of you. Uh, I watched um, former, um, Māori All Black, uh, Hawks Bay player, Hurricanes player, Jared Cunningham, uh, try and fight his way through it. Um, I used to go to uh, believe it or not, uh, go and watch him uh, train and try and get himself going and will his body to start working again, etc. And it was it was hard to watch. It was very very hard to watch. And in the end, of course, Jared, at a very tender age, succumbed to uh, motor neurone disease. And I can see the impact it can have on people. Um, and uh, I, I just feel you know, Us Vandervest has, and I think, it is another that, that suffered that way. Great Springbok halfback, um, just two very well renowned rugby players. But um, people uh, suffering from it all the time. And this is great awareness and a great opportunity to give back to that. Uh, Rick came through, Rick was the next caller on uh, Stump Smithy and said, I knew all of them, cuz. Never mind, Rick, never mind, next time, my friend. Uh, another uh, Raras coming in and said, I can't believe that there's no room for Ekinacio and Dame Norlene Silverfern netball team uh, for the Commonwealth Games. She's way better than at least two of the current shooters. And I did look actually at the uh, the success levels of the shooters and uh, they did miss a lot. And that's a pretty interesting uh, it's a pretty interesting aspect of it and we, she did say I mean accuracy of is important, but it's the number of opportunities that we create to get the ball into the circle. Mm, interesting. Uh, now 11:30 here on SENZ, uh, hopefully back with Wayne McLaughlin very shortly. here on SENZ and uh, I can see Brian desperately trying to get through to uh, Toronto where Wayne McLaughlin uh, hopefully is there to uh, talk to us Uh, in the meantime though we're going to stay on the motor racing theme and uh, we're going to talk to uh, Araha of course who is our resident and I mean that our resident Formula One expert in particular Uh, all sorts of things uh, happening in uh, Formula One Araha uh, good morning to you again Uh, Tell us about uh, the recent developments. Uh, Who's up the top? Um, Who's changing?
8: Uh, Well, changing? I think the biggest changes would have to have been made by Mercedes. Like, they've been... I think Lewis has podiumed three times. Do you know podium wasn't a word in my vocabulary except for racing, motor racing. Podiumed is is not a verb. It's a thing. It's a noun. But in motor racing, it's Mm. a verb. So we use it as a verb. So he's podiumed like three times. And at the beginning of the season, they were, I think you would have been being kind if you said they were midfield. They were They were absolute rubbish. They were rubbish. You would have tossed them out, but they held on and kept hoping and kept fighting and their cars looking OK. They're nowhere near as fast as Red Bull and Ferrari. You know, the thing that disappoints me, though, Smithy, they made all these regulation changes and it's really amazing in the middle of the field. But it's still just two teams way out in front fighting, just like the last eight years, just like the last eight seasons. It's still just two teams at the front, except now it's Red Bull and Ferrari instead of Red Bull mm. and Mercedes. What else do you want to know?
3: OK, well, I'm I'm looking at the standings now. Mm-hmm. Uh, 208 points at this stage for Verstappen. Yeah, and uh, Charles Leclerc is uh, yeah 170. I Bit think Sergio, in there. is
8: Sergio back in third place now, ahead of um, C- Sergio Carlos?
3: Sergio is in 151, yeah, 51, and Carlos uh, Sainz Jr. is 133. And then the first of uh, the Mercedes drivers, uh, side by side, Russell on 128, Hamilton on 109 so uh, everyone else is back in the low 60s out of contention one of the uh, other things that came up during the week of course around the Red Bull team, Red Bull team was a little bit of controversy have they got to the bottom of uh, what what happened in, in those particular areas about what was happening within the team behind the scenes
8: uh, so there's been a lot happening around Red Bull and some of it's been around the green Red Bull, I don't know, have you heard about that, with Aston Martin being accused of pinching some of their designs? So that's been happening within the, behind FIA closed doors. Um, Red Bull, the actual venue that Red Bull sponsors at the Austrian Grand Prix has also come under fire for having unruly fans. There were accusations and allegations, and I tracked down thousands of them on Twitter and Instagram of um, men, women, young people being sexually harassed allegations of sexual assault um, just bad fanning at the Austrian Grand Prix and all the fingers were kind of being pointed at red Bull fans so that was not flash and lots of statements issued but not a lot of action like what do you do how do you ban those fans Smithy
3: well I, I don't know how you can do that to be honest you've got to identify them first of all um, that's that's the that's the thing that uh, of of interest but it isn't a good look when um, you know, you're doing so, such great things on the track, the team is so yeah. successful to have those allegations uh, come up against you, uh, Aroha, that's, that's the problem.
8: I think people, there were comebacks too from Red Bull fans, and understandably so, because there was a lot of cheering when Max Verstappen had that humongous crash last year at Silverstone and caused by a Mercedes driver. But there weren't allegations of sexual abuse or harassment, in such large quantities. So uh, you could film them, right? But a lot of the women said at the time they didn't feel safe to pick up their camera and film these men. Some of the men fought allegedly on, on Twitter and on Instagram. This is where the allegations are being made. So I'm using the word allegedly because I have no proof. Mm. There is no video footage of this that I can find. But the women themselves are posting that, that they were allegedly followed all the way out of the venue. They were actually forced to, ven- to leave the venue by some of those at the Austrian Grand Prix. Anyway, a break- couple of weeks off and then we're back at it.
3: Yep, next one's uh, the French Grand Prix on the 25th of July at uh, Circuit Paul Ricard. Uh, Aroa, thank you very much for your update there and we hope that Red Bull can sort that mucky stuff out. Uh, to be fair. Uh we'll pop across now to uh, one of our regulars here on SENZ. He's been doing a little bit of globetrotting, I think it's fair to say. Uh, but he's back with us this morning, Michael Guerin. Good morning to you, uh, Michael. Alexandra Park tonight, Addington Sunday. Good
15: morning, Smithy. Hope you're well, mate. Um, yeah, I've been travelling the world going to race meetings, which has been a really good learning experience. So, yeah, hopefully you can bring that back to my, uh, to my work and try and um, bring some extra knowledge to the game heading forward. The knowledge you need tonight if you feel like having a bet on harness racing in New Zealand, is that Alexandra Park kickoff? that's in Auckland, uh, race one at 5.55 tonight, Smithy. Now, it's Winter Cup night for the Pacers and the Trotters. These are not huge races because it's sort of off-season racing, but it's brought together quite a nice field, the Winter Cup, for the Pacers. The problem is it's a standing start, and some of the horses aren't proven from a standing start, so that adds a slightly tricky element to the betting. Then we have tomorrow, there's a big race meeting in Brisbane for the harness horses, lots of big name horses there, but not so many of the Kiwis. And then on Sunday, we go to the regular Sunday afternoon stuff at Addington. And even though Sunday afternoon doesn't just sound the sexiest time of the week to be a betting smithy, they'll be really good meetings because Addington draws big field sizes. And for those who don't follow the racing a lot, the bigger the field size, almost invariably the more beating on the race because there's obviously more options for field trifectas and quinellas and all the other things and obviously the dividends tend to be bigger. Now away from all that, for anybody who is going to be parking up tonight and waiting for the footy to own, or are excited about the game down there in Wellington but they're going to be staying home tonight keep their powder dry, there's a couple of horses I think are worth a bet tonight. In race one, At Alexandra Park. And always bet responsibly. Never bet more money than you can afford to lose. But if you feel like a bet, you might as well bet on these horses because there's more chance of winning. Race one, number four. Where's the gold? So over 2,700 metres, I think it'll lead and have options. Being on the marker pegs over 2,700 metres and saving all that ground is crucial. So it's a good bet. And the bet of the night tonight is race five at Alexandra Park. Number 11. Chimmy Churi. He raced in the best three-year-old races back in February. Now, when the three-year-olds, the ones who race in the decent races, come back and race back in the grades in winter, they invariably win. Now, I'm not going to declare him a good thing because it's a 1,700-metre race and he's drawn two on the second line. So, therefore, it's a sprint and he's going to need a little bit of luck. But he did perform very well at the workouts recently, and I think... He'll be too fast for them if he gets the right sort of run. So, if you feel like a bet tonight, as I said, always bet responsibly. Race 5, number 11, Chimichurri, for me, Smithy, is the one that might double your money for those who want to have a beer or a cappuccino tomorrow before they settle in for the footy. Um,
3: okay, and Mick, are you on deck for us tomorrow? Uh, on deck tomorrow morning, myself
15: and Louis Herman. What I'll be out of Wellington, because I'm going to Wellington to work at the test, um, as I used for the, I'm sure. Um, yeah, down there at 8 o'clock in the morning. Tomorrow we have a huge team at Ruakaka for the big finals day there. We're going to talk about the Wellington Steeples and Hurdles day out of Trentham, so I'll be able to give you a weather report because I'll be in for Tony. And a very special guest, our ownership guest, is former international model and well-known racing person, Kylie Bax. She'll be joining us at 9 o'clock to talk all things racing about her wonderful career. She started movies along the side of Dolph Lundgren. She's raced some very good horses. She comes from the powerful Bax family who have also raced a lot of good horses. She'll be our ownership interview. She'll be really interesting at 9 o'clock, but we kick off the mail run tomorrow morning at 8, and then the Good Oil, which is the afternoon punting show with your chance to join a giant syndicate, that kicks off at 1 o'clock. At 11 o'clock, a new time, 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, we have Trot's talk followed by the Greyhound show. So Essie and Jed Smithy is the home of racing this weekend, along with also, of course, being the home of rugby.
3: Good on you, mate. Look forward to it. And if I catch you at Wellington, we'll have a, a quiet taste. Um, and uh, look forward to that uh, possibility at some stage in the future anyway. Thanks, mate. Thanks for your time this morning. You're well, uh, All those tips there, um, write them down If you haven't, uh, go to the podcast and get them back up Very, very accurate man 11.41 here
2: Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ Yes, we've just confirmed
3: We've uh be speaking to uh, Wayne McLaughlin uh, He had some issues, he had some personal things he had to deal with So uh, we're going to talk to him on Monday morning And that'll be great because that'll coincide with the next uh, IndyCar race in, in, out of Toronto They haven't been there since 2019 So uh, Scott McLaughlin uh, will be favoured to do very well in that uh, Having won last week uh, in front of his uh, mum and dad So we'll talk to Wayne, uh, hopefully Monday morning And uh, get a, a real update on how he's feeling uh, as that last uh, race unfolds. And on the subject of uh, Indy cars, of course, the reigning India car champion is Alex Below uh, and Alex Below has uh, announced he will be joining McLaren for 2023. Uh, that was hours after his current employers, Chip Ganassi, said he was staying with them. Ganassi said in a statement they had exercised an option to retain the Spanish driver and quoted him, saying, It was a great feeling knowing I'll be back with Chip Ganassi racing next season. How quickly things changed, the 25-year-old said on Twitter he had found out about that press release from the media and it had been issued without his approval. He added that the quote, which also spoke of how Ganassi had welcomed him with open arms from day one, had not come from him. As I have recently informed CGR, that's uh, Chip Ganassi Racing, for personal reasons I do not intend to continue with the team after 2022." Uh, The uh, Spanish-British-based McLaren, who are rivals of Ganassi and IndyCar with our own McLaren SB team, uh, then issued a statement saying uh, Palau would race for them in 2023 and also test their 2021 Formula One car. I'm extremely excited to join the driver's roster for such an iconic team as McLaren. I'm excited to be able to show what I can do behind the wheel of a Formula One car and looking at what doors that may open. McLaren are competing in IndyCar, Formula One, Formula E and Extreme E as well next year, so lots of opportunities there. Well, Phil Mickelson, of course, uh, has been perceived as a, a bit of a villain these days. Uh, he had troubles, didn't he, uh, even before he went to uh, the LIV. There was rumours about it, but, uh, you know, he hadn't been around the circuit. He upset a few people There's a few statements he made, even about his uh, Saudi employers, and uh, they're not going to let uh, Phil get away with it easily these days, particularly the media. Uh, they see him as public enemy number one. And he had a short, sharp exchange uh, just recently um, at uh, St. Andrews with uh, a media person. Listen to this. You've
1: been missing out on a big occasion like that. The dinner at 150. Let it go, dude. Let it go. It's three yeah. times you've asked the same question. I mean, I, I don't know what to tell you. I couldn't be happier.
3: Yeah, well, that's uh, his attitude. And that's been the attitude as well of a lot of these uh, live golfers as well when they've been quizzed about uh, why they're doing this and why they're doing that and why they've gone... Um, and I think they're all starting to get onto the same wavelength now. In other words, I'm not going to be bothered with that. You want to ask me about the golf and how I went today or what have you, That's fine. Uh, But other than that, stay away from me, um, because the record is just going to keep playing the same old sound, uh, and you're not going to get the answers that you want. So uh, maybe they need to go down uh, another pathway there. But having said that, it's a very interesting leaderboard after the first round uh, of uh, the 150th edition of the Open Championship. Uh, Cameron Young, Young, uh, 24-year-old American, uh, has the lead at uh, minus eight. Outstanding. He's a two-shot lead over Rory McIlroy, who is playing with real purpose here, Rory McIlroy. He feels like uh, he's flying the flag to a large degree for the traditions of the game, Um, and uh, he's very much uh, wanting to win this tournament, this special edition of it. Uh, Dinwiddie from uh, England uh, is also there on minus five with uh, Cameron Smith, the Aussie. Uh, But within the top 14 or 15 golfers, There are a number of live players. Uh, I speak of Taylor Gooch, uh, who is tied for fifth, uh, along with Dustin Johnson. Uh, Lee Westwood is also tied for fifth. They're all at four under those blokes. Just behind them, they have got a fella by the name of uh, Ian Poulter, who's a bit of a public enemy number one, uh, and he is uh, in 13th place. So of the first 13 or 14 of the field in the current Open Championship, the LIV golfers are making a real statement. So uh, we'll just see how that goes over the weekend. Lots of uh, golf to watch on television, as such is an absorbing weekend of sport. How important? Uh, We'll wait and see. 11.51 here, and uh, we'll be with Staffy very shortly.